ShotJet Podcast. Stories that connect. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the ShotJet Podcast with your host, Peter Raimholt. I'm glad you've joined us again to hear another amazing story. As we come to the end of January in Chicago and may begin to feel those winter blues, it is a great time to reach out and connect with your mentor and support network. Whether a formal or informal mentor, or a colleague who has offered support when you needed it the most, there's no better time than now to catch up and have a meaningful conversation. Personally, mentoring relationships have had a profound impact on my career in so many ways, and these individuals have helped me through many of the challenges faced not only as a KPMG professional, but also as a human being. I'm thankful for my mentors and the many people who prioritize and ensure the success of others. Please remember to take some time to thank yours, especially during these challenging times. I recently had the opportunity to sit down with our next guest and hear about her emphasis on both mentorship and service to others, while focusing on her lifelong commitment to taking care of the individual. From her beginnings as a junior staff at KPMG Audit in Sydney, Australia, to building a successful career at KPMG Chicago as a Global Mobility Services Senior Manager, Lucy Brandon has always focused on being in service to others whether that's to her KPMG colleagues or in the community. Lucy joins the podcast to recount her journey from Sydney to Chicago and discuss her enduring commitment to contributing beyond herself, including her life-changing service trip to Tanzania to rebuild a village, and today, creating a supportive environment with her colleagues during the pandemic. Welcome to the Shot Chat Podcast, Lucy. We're really happy to have you here and learn about another great story. Uh, before we get into the meteor story, would you like to tell the audience where you're from and how you got to KPMG? Sure. So I'm originally from Australia. I was born in Sydney, um, but I've been in Chicago for about seven years. Um, I'm actually uh, living through the pandemic in Boulder, Colorado. Uh, my fiance and I decided to um, make the move early October um, we're over here with his family, uh, just sort of riding out the winter, trying to avoid the Chicago winter, but we'll be back in Chicago uh, in a couple of months. How are you liking Boulder compared to Chicago for the winter? Oh, it's awesome. The um, <laughs> It's not as cold, which having Australian blood is perfect. Uh, but what's been really nice is we have been going skiing every weekend, uh, which is really, really cool. Uh, that sounds ideal. <laughs> um, so going back, so you're born in Australia. Uh, so what happened between being born in Australia and you working at KPMG in Chicago? Sure. So my road to KPMG is a little unusual. I started back in 2010 and just to go a little bit personal here for a second, uh, my mum passed away in September of 2010 from cancer. But in the week leading up to mum's passing, um, we were just having a chat and you know, like all mums, she was really excited for what, what I had coming up, but she gave me two things that she was particularly excited about. Uh, one was she knew that I was going to love living and working overseas, and the second was that um, I was going to be a manager at KPMG, and really? just for some context, um, I love traveling, so the idea of living and working overseas wasn't outrageous, that was just mm -hmm. exciting. Um, but the KPMG idea was wild. 
um, my mum was a nurse, my dad was a builder. Um, so we weren't a family of accountants. So KPMG was not a company we'd ever talked about. Um, <laughs> it was just really, really left field. So I had that in the back of my mind, but to be honest, really didn't think too much of it um, until it was probably a few months later. I was at a career fair at college. I was doing a political science degree at the time, but I was admittedly a little lost as to what I wanted to do once I graduated. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of aimlessly walking through the career fair um, and I saw a sign and it was obnoxiously in the middle of the sidewalk. Like you would, I would have walked over it um, and it said, KPMG, we accept all degrees. And mm-hmm. I am not a superstitious person. I... Um, you know, not into signs at all, but at that moment, I just had an overwhelming feeling that this was something I should look into. Okay, so uh, you weren't even an accounting major. So when your no. mom proposed KPMG, you're just a poli-sci major. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, I honestly didn't even know KPMG was an accounting firm when she first mentioned it. So that is how uh, left field that comment was. Um, so yeah, so I just at the career fair, um, this really lovely girl, um, was manning the KPMG booth. She should definitely be in sales cause she did a fantastic job of convincing me that KPMG was where I should be and, um, I should apply for an internship. So I did what she said. I applied and by absolute surprise, I got a call the next day from, uh, one of the recruiters asking if I wanted to come in and, um, go through a round of interviews for an internship in the audit team. And this was in the Sydney office. Wow. Okay. So then how long were you working in Sydney? So I did the internship and then I started full time as an associate in uh, January, 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I made the move to Chicago in um, March, 2014. But you are now not working in audit currently in Chicago. So can you talk about that transition? Yep. Um, another just <laughs> sort of right place, right time. Um, I was really enjoying audit in Sydney, um, but I just, it didn't feel like the best fit for me. So uh, when I made the move to Chicago, um, actually moved uh, because my boyfriend at the time, he got transferred with work. So mm-hmm. um, I came over here. Thankfully, KPMG is a great firm where everyone has really great networks. Everyone is extremely uh, willing to help and friendly. So as I, when I came over here, I just sort of leaned on that network, uh, met as many people as I could. Um, but one of the girls I worked with in Sydney, um, her dad was a partner in GMS, so Global Mobility Services, where I am. Mm-hmm. He actually worked in the Swiss office. Um, but he um, worked alongside one of the partners in the Chicago office, Dave Zydek, so through him, I connected with Dave. So Dave was extremely nice to meet me for lunch, and he was such a great person um, to talk to. You could tell he was a fantastic leader. Um, and I was, you know, knew enough about KPMG that, um, especially at the firm, a lot about, I guess the best place to start sometimes is really who you're working for. Um, mm-hmm. you, you can learn, they, they're good enough teachers, they can teach you what you need to know, but we're going to spend long hours, we're going to work hard, so I'd prefer to do that for someone I really look up to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so meeting Dave, 
you know, I thought this is going to be a good fit. So I sort of went out on a limb. I sent him an email after the lunch and just said it was great meeting you. If if you have any spots available, could you let me know? And really great timing to meet Dave because GMS had um, was growing very quickly and they really needed some people. So he said, sure, um, how early can you start? And, and that's how <laughs> I joined uh, GMS. Amazing. And well, cheers to Dave for helping you out. That's, that's a pretty special story. <laughs> I know. I was, I was really, really lucky. If you had told me a year earlier that I'd be in tax, I would have laughed at you. Um, but <laughs> honestly, it, it's really worked out. They're a great team to work for. Well, great. Thanks, Lucy. Um, well, changing gears here a little bit, I know you have a passion for service and helping others. Um, we worked at KFFL together. I know you're the treasurer now and you've been involved with We Day, among with other things at the office. Um, can you talk about where that passion for service began? I think it all centered around uh, really education. I've always been passionate about the power of education. Um, I believe every child should have the right to a safe environment to learn in. Mm-hmm. And I think this idea came about, um, I was in high school at the time, and I was volunteering at... An organi- for an organization who cared for domestic abuse victims. Um, so I used to go to a, a house that was a temporary home for mums and their kids, and I used to help the kids with their homework, um, while some of my other um, schoolmates would help cooking for the parents, things like that. Um, but the fact that these kids hadn't had a safe environment to learn in, uh, that was pretty life-changing and, you know, really made me realize how fortunate I was growing up, um, you know, going to school every day, having parents who could buy me as many books as uh, as I had wanted. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's where it started. But I think um, it sort of that passion really grew after my trip to Tanzania. Um, so I, as part of our gap year, it's really popular for Australians to take a year off between high school and college, which we call okay. a gap year. So a couple of my friends and I, we decided to go to Tanzania uh, for three months and we're in a really remote village and I was helping build uh, the school. I still look back at it um, and almost get goosebumps when I, you know, retell stories. It was incredible. I was 18. Um, It was terrifying. It was rewarding. Extreme highs and lows. um, But. (laughs) Uh, I know it sounds cliche, but it, it really was life-changing. What did your parents think about this, you and a couple friends just going to Tanzania for three months? <laughs> yeah, they were a little nervous, I'm not going to lie. Um, yeah. I think the fact we were together certainly helped. Um, and we did go with an organization, so they at least had the comfort of, you know, they had a phone number to ring. And I feel like we've got a lot of people in the Chicago office that like to travel and see different parts of the world, but going to a village in Tanzania and helping to kind of rebuild buildings there, that life there has got to be much different than any sort of vacation that we've taken or even could think about. Can you describe what life was like living there? Sure. It, it was wild. It um, we, we lived in a tent for three months. Um, wow. It was more of a, I guess, glamping style tent. There was a proper cement floor and we had little bunk beds, but it was a tent nonetheless. Um, we had very limited power. Things that I just really didn't think of. Again, 18, extremely naive going into this, but things just like a flushing toilet or a warm shower. 
mm-hmm. uh, didn't exist. Um, the shower, we had a shower, which was nice, but it was always cold. I'd say the first week was an uphill battle. And then, honestly, you get used to it. Um, you get used to it pretty quickly, especially when you're walking around and you realise we've just spent the day complaining about the tents we live in and, and you walk down the road and people don't have a tenth of what we have in our little little tent. So it's um, it's pretty sobering pretty quickly. Yeah, that is, that's great perspective. Uh, but before we get off of the tents, how critter how critter proof were these tents? Did you have any advent, <laughs> did you have any uh, intruders over your three months in there? I thankfully didn't have any intruders in the tent. We thankfully had to fly like a zip on the door. I did have an intruder in um, the shower. It was just uh, it was outside. They were just like cubicles, but no roof uh-huh. over the top. And uh, one of the guys staying in the in our little village at the time, he was um, really into animals. He was an English guy, and you know, I was just having my shower. He was in the cubic cubicle next to me, and I just mentioned that there was this really small black snake in the corner of my cubicle. Mm-hmm. And coming from Australia, insect snakes it's not a huge deal. So I was pretty like, as long as it stays over there, it hasn't moved this entire shower. I'll be fine. Um, but the guy next to me was a lot more nervous than I was about the fact that there was a small black snake in my cubicle. So he just very calmly said, Lucy, you need to turn the shower off, Uh, put your towel around you, and I'm going to look into your cubicle. I need to check the snake. And so he peered over, and it turned out it was a black mamba. No. Which was extremely dangerous. He thankfully didn't tell me at the time. He just said, um, Lucy, you need to get out of the cubicle, but it was blocking the door um, of the way I came into the shower. So the only way to get out was to climb the back of the cubicle, which in a towel (laughs) is really difficult. So uh, thankfully my my friends had come over at that point. So people sort of helped me climb the back of the cubicle whilst trying to remain covered. Um, And he told me that, yeah, it was a black mamba and uh, he thankfully knew what he was doing around snakes, so he was able to capture it and uh, drove a long way away and released it safely. Um, but that was, thankfully I didn't know at the time, but after the fact was quite terrifying. <laughs> oh, my gosh, no kidding. Yeah, not not the normal encounters in the showers that we deal with day to day, right? <laughs> no, Goodness. but then just another reminder that that's just in the backyard and, you know, being obviously in contact with a black mamba anywhere you're on the world is extremely dangerous. But mm-hmm. we were hours from any medical support. So it, just another reminder of I could laugh about it and and it was a funny story, but that's what these poor people in this village live with daily and not having that assurance that you can get the help you need as quickly as we can today in, in any major city is, um, is it's pretty amazing. So throughout your three months, I imagine you met some awesome people and have some amazing stories. Are there any stories or events that kind of stick out to you? Yeah, oh, there's so many. Um, I think just in general, the people we met were just incredibly brave and entrepreneurial and just so uh, generous. They... um, 
like I said, these people literally have nothing other than a mud hut and they would want to give us everything that they owned and to the point where we had to be actually pretty careful because a lot of the families would invite us over for lunch or dinner and we would have to um, decline the offer because they would give us their month's worth of food because they were just so generous and so happy that we that we wanted to be spending that time with them and they're so thankful for what we're doing with the school. Wow. Um, so I think that was the first thing I learned was the generosity of these people who have far less than we had. Um, and then just individual characters we met. We, um, Like I said, I was helping build a school. I was building a dining hall. But they didn't have any equipment to build. So we had thankfully fundraised before we left. So we had a little bit of money. So we went and bought some shovels and a wheelbarrow and cement. But I was 18. I My dad's a builder, but I had no building skills or qualifications whatsoever so I was sending emails back to dad asking you know we don't have a shovel is it okay if I mix cement with my hands (laughs) or um, how much cement do I need to cover this amount of ground no clue so I really had to get to know the locals very quickly um, because you know we really needed some help Um, so I did learn Swahili but it was not perfect so just getting to know these people again, they're incredibly generous with their time. We're doing sign language back to each other, trying to understand each other. They're teaching <laughs> me local ways of building, like things like, you know, I can't afford the cement. So we would lay the foundation of the building with huge rocks and then you get smaller rocks to fill the cracks and then smaller rocks again and so on. And then you just layer um, the cement on top of that so you could use a lot less. I would never have known that that was a smart way to get around lack of resources. Um, So I think we were sort of a bit of a joke of the town. I think a lot of people just came to watch us build because we're a bit of a novelty. But um, the amount of people who would step up, do their best to explain, you know, give us some tips, trade with us. I would trade my clothes for more materials that we needed. Um, People would come with me to the store to help me purchase the things I needed. Just honestly life-changing. But there's too many people to um, individual stories I could spend hours (laughs) telling you. Well, that that sounds very special. I I feel like your perspective and, you know, what what you learned there is something you probably keep with in your day-to-day life now, which leads me to my next question of, what is your biggest takeaway from that experience that you apply uh, to your life now? It's hard work, but still enjoying life at the same time. I think what these locals taught me was they worked so hard every day of their life to get water, get food to feed their kids, put their kids through school, Um, again things that we absolutely take for granted it was hard work for them Mm -hmm. but they were the happiest people I've ever met and I think just the idea of if you work really hard that's fantastic but you need to make time to really enjoy life as well Um, and I think I've learned this from my my parents as well especially with my mum but working hard really enjoying life um, if you can do those things everything's going to work out okay. 
Well, well let's transition to 2020 and 2021 here. Um, you know, I, I know that you were nominated for one of the trusted advisory awards um, as one of the advisors. And, and, and what I've heard is because it's all your focus on the team and you're maximizing people's potential, connecting with the team, setting up uh, happy hours, embracing the importance of a supportive environment, um, and really promoting like an open door policy. I think stuff like that is very important for everyone at the firm. So I'd like to hear from you some of the ways you've been able to do that. So um, how did you, how have you been doing and how do you continue to create a supportive environment for your team during the pandemic? Sure. So again, I don't think I'm perfect. I'm still definitely trying, but um, I think the work from home environment has really highlighted the need and importance of empathy. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone is experiencing different challenges and you know ups and downs during this time. And towards the beginning of the pandemic, one of my colleagues called me because uh, they were just really frustrated uh, because we were as a team we were meeting once a week um, just to updates on what's going on in the world. It was just before, well, actually in the middle of busy season, so those tax mm-hmm. updates, things like that. But people were using those calls to chime in and and share what was working for them and what was working well during the pandemic. So you'd hear lots of people say, um, I'm loving the extra time to get my steps in or Mm -hmm. I'm loving the extra time to bake, whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And fantastic. It was positive. I thought they were nice stories to share. Uh, But my colleague, um, they were just feeling like they were just hanging on. and they couldn't believe that people were living their best lives during a global pandemic with steps and cooking, and they mm-hmm. didn't even have the time to brush the hair in the morning. And to me, that was just such a great reminder that this is really, really tough for my team, but it looks very, very different. Um, so one size fits all is just not going to work. Um, so what I've tried to do is just really become available and just listen. Um, I'm available to help the team, you know, get the work done in terms of client work, but I'm also just available to chat and be a safe space for people to say, hey, I'm really struggling right now. This has just been a really bad week for me. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I'm not an expert at this, but figuring out what each of your team member specifically needs is just so key. So some need you to be that super positive, motivating person and say, hey, I'm already at 10,000 steps. Where are you at? (laughs) Um, But others just need me just to say, like, man, this is pretty crap, isn't it? Like, Mm -hmm. how how horrifying is the news today? Um, And some just need me to just say hi and let them fill that silence. Well, from what I'm hearing, it sounded like it is. And I guess kind of, you know, what you alluded to in there, and something that you know, I think I've been struggling with, and I'm sure others have, is is setting proper boundaries. And mm-hmm. you know, I feel like right now, I you know, I wake up and I'm I need to be available from 7 a.m. to 11 p.m. And you know, you don't really have time for lunch or go for a walk, and you know, you you don't have time, like you said, to brush your hair or go for a workout, or your schedule almost gets flipped upside down. Um, how have you been able to set boundaries for you and your team, and maybe more importantly, actually stick to those boundaries? Yeah, boundaries are so hard. Um, even how many months have we been working from home? I think 10 still. Yeah. <laughs> still figuring it out. Um, and 
like you, I think I just overcompensated at the beginning for the fact that, you know, my team and I weren't physically together. So I gave this appearance that I was available all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't realize that when I'm available all, that t- all, all the time, it pressures particularly my staff to also be that available. Um, I think a good example is video calls. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm definitely a visual person. If we're in the office, I'll always walk to someone's desk or welcome them to my desk rather than an email. So I really wanted to provide that same level of openness and sort of one-on-one time with my calls. Yeah. So I was all into video calls. Um, but I guess when you're working from home, video calls really welcomes people into your apartment and your personal life, mm-hmm. especially for me because I sit back-to-back with my fiancé. So <laughs> every time I'd dial in, they'd see him and what he's working on or what he's watching on his screen. Sure. Um, and while I was absolutely fine with that, um, a bit of an open book, um, but I didn't realize that not everyone on my team were okay with that. Everyone's got a very different level of comfort, um, especially with video chats. And, you know, someone told me, like, I choose to present myself a certain way when I come into the office. Um, and I want that sort of time or option to pre- to present myself that way over a video call as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do it because they've got a clear boundary between home and office um, and their video calls really blur that line. Mm-hmm. Um, so especially when video calls are just sort of, they're not prepared or they're just sort of thrown on someone, people felt really uncomfortable with that. Um, again, something that I wouldn't be uncomfortable with, but just stepping back and saying, okay, well, <laughs> just because I'm okay with it, it doesn't mean everyone else is. So what I've been trying really hard to do is um, – you know, get to know obviously everyone's preference, but I try and indicate in the calendar invite if it's a meeting that where we need to have our cameras on or not. Sure. Um, so just giving the people that space to say yes or no, okay, if this is needed, they have that time to put themselves together or put themselves in a space in their apartment that they're comfortable with me seeing in the background. So if you're not doing video calls as often, have you found any new ways to connect that have been more effective and that people have taken more kindly to? Yeah, I'm loving our small engagement happy hours. Um, we did have nice. team-wide happy hours or social hours. It's just the nice get-to-know-you reminder that we're all in this together. Um, we all usually share something embarrassing that's happened to us, <laughs> um, during the week, but... Um, yeah, I'm all about the smaller uh, happy hours for sure. Yeah, thanks thanks for all that advice, Lucy. Really appreciate it. And uh, your, your candid feedback and just talking about your, your stories, I think, are going to be very, very helpful for others to hear. Awesome. Well, I'm still learning. So any advice you have for me too, um, I always welcome suggestions. Well, I appreciate that attitude, but I do not have advice for you right now. But what I do have <laughs> is our signature lightning round of five questions that you, have not, you, can, you cannot prepare for and just have to be a fun way to finish up the podcast. So uh, are you ready? I am. All right. So if you could eat at one restaurant for a year, where would you eat? I'd say Avec. Nice. What's your favorite thing to eat there? 
Oh, the slow cooked lamb shoulder. It's so mm. good. Sounds <laughs> awesome. <like that. laughs> All right, number two. Uh, if you if you could have one superpower, what would it be? I'd really like to be able to fly. Just for the the joy of flying, or be able to get places quickly. Oh, both. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I know that's not a very good answer, but even from a little kid, like I was the kid who would climb to the top of the tree and jump off to see if I could fly. Um, yeah, I've just always wanted <laughs> to be able to do that. I like that one. Um, all right, well, here's number three. Uh, <laughs> what is something that's really popular right now that will be ridiculous in five years? Oh, TikTok. TikTok. That's about as good an answer I could think about. Yeah. <laughs> um, number four. What always calms you down when you're really stressed out at work? My immediate answer was going to be a glass of wine. Um, <laughs> okay, that could be just really stressed out. We can remove the work part. Just when you're really stressed out, period. <laughs> yeah, I'll wait till after work hours, obviously. Yeah. Um, no, my big stress reliever is um, going for a swim. I think uh, just yep. growing up near the beach, but I also, I'm just doing laps. Uh, that's awesome. Um, okay, well, uh, swimming does sound very nice now, although a little bit cold currently in Chicago. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't go now. <laughs> um, all right, so number five. Uh, now that you're you know, getting to be an expert at remote working, what is your number one requirement for your home office? My number one requirement? I just, <laughs> this just makes me laugh because like I said, I share an office with my fiancé and he has the most decked out work from home office you've ever seen and mine is so minimal so I often get <laughs> made fun of because he has four screens um I'm lucky with my two um but what could I I think a good set of speakers I need okay. some music during the day to get me through a return or calm me down after a horrible call um yeah a good set of speakers I thought you might have gone with wine fridge on that one. Oh. I didn't even think of that. <laughs> <laughs> that would be number two. <laughs> well, uh, well, Lucy, thanks again for coming on the podcast. It was great to hear about your adventures, especially in Tanzania, and your commitment to service. And um, it is much appreciated by your team and by everybody in the office. Thanks, Peter. Thanks for having me. It was a blast. Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Shy Chat Podcast with your host, Peter Reimholt. For more information about Lucy's journey or her commitment to mentorship and service, please contact Lucy Brandon at lucybrandon at kpmg.com. If you like what you heard today, spread the word about the show. And if you or someone you know has a great story that you think we should highlight, please contact Aaron Bailey at ebailey at kpmg.com or myself at prameholt at kpmg.com.